Marketing Podcast is kindly sponsored by Nicks and Kicks, the low-calorie, no-added sugar, vegan-friendly drink with a zing. At Target, we always have a fully stocked fridge of Nicks and Kicks as a healthy and tasty refreshment for the team. Try it yourself today in a co-op or waitrose near you, or you can buy it online at nicksandkicks.com. Miracle, thanks for joining us on the Performance Marketing Podcast. For, for those that don't know, Miracle and Inameti Archibong is the um, SEO lead currently at John Lewis Finance. Um, previously worked in SEO at Money Supermarket and has tons of experience, 10 years plus, both agency and client side. Um, so Miracle, could you start us off by really adding some meat to the bones, a little bit about your career and how you got into SEO? I mean, like most people, SEO is not, not <laughs> something I can know about. <laughs> you know, I, when I, I came to the UK to do a master's programme and I, was going to, I did a master's in digital media, I was looking at um, behind the scenes because in Nigeria I used to produce movies and I was looking at editing and behind right. the scenes and that kind of thing and on my course there was a marketing bit of it and I was I'd, I'd always been interested in like psychology and the science of why people do things but there was just no vocabulary for that for, in Nigeria and I didn't really explore that option but when I came here that was like a path that was open to me so I really got interested in marketing and then I started my first internship role and the marketing turned out to be PPC and then that was not really, I, I found it to be very kind of um, formularic. You do this, you do that. I'm not a process person. Okay. <laughs> so it wasn't for you. <laughs> as you can see by when you're trying to arrange all these things, I, I am not a process person. So I, I kind of gravitated towards the SEO team because it was more of a, a discovery process and, and kind of like a curiosity. There was no kind of prescriptive or one size fit all. And that's how I just found myself, you know, diving more and more into SEO. And, and that's how the journey began. So the, it's, it's, it's great because I remember sort of, you know, as you do reading about yourself mm. and, and listening to a few previous podcasts. I think the thing that really stood out for me about you um, was your, your sort of passion and knowledge when it comes to statistical forecasting for SEO. So obviously there's, you know, keyword forecast, keyword led forecasting and statistical forecasting. Um, but just to really start things off here, I suppose, how would you define um, forecasting in SEO and why is it so important? I think I always start by saying that forecasting gets such a, a bad rap because people are always, well, it's not accurate, it's not, you know, and if you go down that route, you kind of miss the point of a forecast. The forecast is saying, you know, give or take, this is what we can achieve. And it's an indication of growth. It helps you set priority. And believe me, I've worked with many a finance team and they're forecasting as well. It's, it's, it's not accurate. No, like I haven't seen it. Because I, I'm sort of curious about the way I do forecasting. And then I'll go to this team and I'll be like, oh, I'm really curious to see the way the finance team does it. Because we would like to kind of model that in our SEO way and see if we can get more accurate. And then you sort of realize that, yeah, forecasting is just a... You know, it's just that this is the projection that our data says we could go and give or take will be like 5% in or 5% out. But it's really useful for commercial teams. It's useful to help your kind of finance team understand what priorities should be given. It's useful because then you yourself, you can prioritize and say, okay, this is what we should do first. And this is the level of growth we expect. So that's why forecasting is important for SEO. Uh, and I guess also as, as marketers, of course, we all understand the, the value and the importance yeah. of SEO. But though, when you're sort of presenting to the board, those that are perhaps less technically minded, um, to get them to buy in, I guess mm. having that forecast and being able to tie 
um, commercial objectives and you know conversions and, and revenue to, to, the, to SEO is really important to get buying at board level, I can imagine. Yes, it's really important to the C-suite. And I think because you know, all the marketing channels, this is to say if you spend this in PPC, this is what you expected. They, they have a direct route to conversion and measurement. It's about being able to measure. And if you can't measure, you can't plan. If you can't measure, you can't give any kind of importance or credence to it. And it's about being able to speak a language that other people understand because the SEO language is, is it's very, yeah, it's not plain and simple, but money language, everyone understands. So, yeah. 100%. And I guess sort of to get into the bones of things now, there are, you've, you've previously when you've spoken, you've defined sort of two types of forecasting when it comes to SEO. So I think one was keyword led forecasting and the other was statistical forecasting. So could you sort of define what's the difference between the, between the two and what are the challenges that come with keyword forecasting? I think the core difference is the starting point. With keyword forecasting, you have a load of keywords and then you try to predict based on how the keyword, the visibility improves or what kind of financial benefit that will give to the company. With statistical forecasting, you're looking at your own data and say, based on the current visits we have, this is how we can improve and this is how we can grow. And the key difference is just the starting point. I would say I prefer statistical forecasting to keyword. I mean, keyword forecasting very, very started in my early days in SEO. This is over 10 years ago. And it was really easy to do then because give or take, you know, click-through rates were stable. The SEP was very largely the same, you know. But now keyword forecasting is so difficult to do because, you know, there's personalization, there's someone clicks what everyone sees is different i mean rankings are never stable throughout the day let alone for a month so it's really difficult we did i recently did a ctr study with my team and we found that that click through rates differ so much depending on time of day the night so none of these variables are stable enough for you to accurately predict you know but it, again it's and then imagine if you work for a large enterprise that has you know Three, four thousand, five, six thousand. Yeah. <laughs> it's a minefield. Yeah. It's a minefield. It can get pretty messy quickly. I mean, I still use it, and I will use it when I'm doing one-off content pieces. You know, if I'm if if I have a specific category, I can say, okay, based on this category, this is what we can expect to do. But I would never use it to. Well, I don't really use it to do like large financial forecasting. I prefer to use statistical modeling because then it it's it kind of reduces the variables. It's now this is the traffic we get based on our data, based on the people who click through us. This is personalized. This is our customer focused data. All of that. And then you can say, okay, based on you know linear progression, which a lot of finance teams also use, which everyone understands that language. You're not bringing in Google variables that people just feel is a dark art and mm. no one really knows about. This is a language that most CFOs, CMOs understand. And you can be like, based on this you know, statistical forecast, linear regression, this is what our data is saying that we will go. And that's a more, to me, it, it's a more kind of... Um, I don't know, acceptable way of benchmarking at CSUT level. For sure. And I think just, just coming back to the point about keyword-led forecasting, that there are just so many variables, aren't there? Language, location, no one really knows what's going to happen tomorrow in terms of trends in the market as well. So it is really hard to predict, I suppose. But coming back to your statistical forecasting model, you mentioned um, linear regression there and exponential smoothing, I think mm. you've talked about before as well. Could you just explain how that works in the context of um, forecasting? 
Yeah, so very simply put, I mean, there, there are more in-depth details explanation, but I won't bore you, but very simply put, it's just understanding how two variables affect a certain um, outcome. And exponential smoothing helps to kind of gauge like seasonalities, it kind of looks for outliers, and that's why the amount of data you have is really important. Because if you have one-year data, it can't, it can't really pinpoint outliers. But if you have two, three-year data, it can look at that and be like, oh, okay, this is an anomaly. Oh, this happens every time in June. That's definitely seasonality. Let's not talk about things like COVID. <laughs> just kind of We're past that now, yeah? <laughs> that just kind of, you know, throws a whole spanner yeah. in the wheel. But, you know, it, it looks at things like that and it, it able, it's like, okay, this is an outlier. I'll just model the data from the previous occurrence and just ignore this oh no this is seasonality i'll add that in and that's what what, what those two types of us that's really interesting so, so do you, in your opinion do you need at least two years in terms of to have statistical significance when you're forecasting do you need historical about two years of historical data more say, or less yeah I, I would say for, for for the best outcome you need at least two years of data or and then it depends on the business some businesses don't have that level of you know, volatility or seasonality or stuff but i would say you know i mean yeah, I, I will prefer I'm more comfortable when I have at least two years of water data. I guess, and is, is it possible? I suppose it must be impossible to forecast without, without data. Um, so in an, have you ever had an instance where you know, you've had unreliable data? How do you get around those kind of things? Because you must have instances where clients have come to you with bad data, incorrect data, things missing. How do you create a forecast when you've got such a messy set I mean, data set? You can't. <laughs> all the time. You, yeah. you can't. Yeah, all the time. And that's why. I mean, there was a study we did and we, saw, we found that, that eight, we, eight, when I worked agency side, 80% of the Google Analytics account we had had some form of you know errors in it and, and stuff like that which is why you know we would always start with kind of like doing a GA audit and kind of trying to clean that data but then even when you clean the data then you're not looking historically are you so yeah. we always say with any forecasting give or take five percent you know out but then that's why you can't discount keyword forecasting as well because when you don't have data you have to go back to the keyword forecasting might be the only thing you, you can use because you can use, you know, search volume data and kind of play around with, with uh, keyword rankings in that kind of way. That's really interesting. So coming back to if, if, I'm, a, if I'm a brand marketer here now or sorry, an SEO, how regularly should, do you think you should be forecasting? Is it something you should be doing annually, quarterly, or is it really horses for courses depending on the, the business? I would say when we start with a forecast, we usually, as soon as we have, uh, clean data, we just pipe that in and reforecast. So I would say at least quarterly, you should be reforecasting. Refor yeah. And is it possible to, again, because we talked about variables in SEO in terms of algorithm updates, seasonality, is it possible to mitigate that, all the, all the, all the unknowns when it comes to forecasting? Is there a way to mitigate that or allow for it? Um, yeah. I mean, there's no way of 100% mitigating that. You just have to agree on an unacceptable baseline. I think most of these things you have to see it as trend modeling. Is the trend going up or the trend going down? If the trend is going down, you know, then the thing, next course of action is how can we mitigate this? If the trend is going up, then how can we make sure we ensure that the, the trend goes up? It's in that kind of way because you can never, you know, kind of account for all the outliers, but you, it's all about creating a, a baseline. Really. And in terms of, um, where, like, if, if, if I'm a brand that wants to start forecasting, you know, it's something that we haven't actually explored yet. 
where do we begin? How do we, is it a case of getting the data together? What are the, the metrics we should be looking at? Do we should be taking into account conversion rates? and things like that. Where do we begin? How do we start putting together a forecast? I think, yeah, the, the metrics you should, you know, visits, conversions, you know, average order value, if that's something that, that you have to get, those are the three, you know, main things, visits, conversions, you know, and yeah, your average order value, and then you can't kind of look at, okay, based on this, you know, what do we expect our click-through rates to be, you know? based on what the data that we already have and are we, you know, what marketing campaigns are we going to do this this time around? Are we putting more money, less money? And then kind of plotting those, those graphs out. There's there's a, an, an article I wrote, I think, in, in 2021. I'm sure they're, they're more recent things other people have written out there. So just, just Google. When I worked at Aerodite, it's called Forecasting for SEO. And then you, you can start there. Or, you know, there, there are other people who have written great th things. There are other tools, I think, there's a guy called Richard, Richard Fergie. Oh, I hope I haven't gotten that <laughs> wrong. But he, he has a statistical you know, forecasting tool as well. Based The starting point is linear regression, but he, he has more sophisticated modeling points in, so you can check that out as well. I'm guessing when you're putting together a forecast as well, it's really important to have probably multiple scenarios as well. Um, but where would you, again, is it how many scenarios would you create? Would it be a sort of a good, worst, worst, you know, worst scenario? Um, again, where, where, what's your take on that miracle? So we, we, I like to do like a three point. So there is a do not in scenario, there's the baseline scenario, and there's that oh, if we pump money in. So it's almost like a, you know, a, a stable, a high, and a low, and that's because, as I said, give or take five percent in a route, you do you. Yeah. So I, I always say to people that the SEO forecast, I, I like to say it's like a scenario modeling because when you try to kind of like we're going to cover every baseline, make it as accurate, that just that just kind of you know it, it gets out of hand really quickly. So you take it as a scenario modeling. It, this, our data says if we do nothing, this is the level of growth. You know. If we if, if something happens through the spanner and the works and we start to decline, this is the rate. Or if we pump in more resources and we grow by five percent or by ten percent, this is this is what it looks like. That's great. And if uh, just going back to so we we now know you know the data we need to begin creating the forecast. We know we need some scenarios. What are the tools as a marketer you need to be able to create these forecasts? Is it something you would do in Excel or are there other softwares and tools you use to create your forecasts? I, was, I, I use Excel. I mean, you can use Google Sheets if you're that way inclined. I, those are the primary tools. I mean, the most basic tools I use. As you say, that there, there are other tools out there. That I don't know all of that. But that, that's the, those are my go-to. I mean, there are other softwares as well, which, again, just escape my mind at present. There are other SEO tools that have created you know, keyword forecast tin tools with, within their, their, their suites, and there are some that have statistical modeling as well within their suites. They, Jump of my mind, I'm sure Josh, you can do the research. <laughs> no, 100%, of course. <laughs> I'll put you on the, the spot. <laughs> and add it to the comments, but for, for the forecast I usually do, I, I use Excel. No, it's, it's, um, I think it's, it's a tool that everyone's familiar with, isn't yes. it? So it's just something yes. people can get comfortable with and explore, perhaps. But um, I'd love to know to get, to get, to get to know a little bit more about yourself now, Miracle. I mean, in going, looking back at your SEO career, what are the real sort of challenges you face? You know, because SEO changes so much, doesn't it? Mm. You know, Google forever you know, releasing updates and the algorithms changing. So what are the sort of the biggest challenges you really faced as an SEO in the last 12 months? In the last 12 months, that's it. That's really interesting. Oh, in the last 12 months. I think in the last 12 months, based on where I am in my career, I would say that the most challenges I faced is getting people to understand 
what SEO can do mm. and kind of like step in on other department toes because people just kind of think SEO is, oh, you change a few pieces of copy, you move things around and that's SEO. But what happens beyond when you're ranking in P1 for everything? Then what's the SEO's job there? Yeah. And it's a challenge I faced where I'm like, well, SEO is in every pie. You have to think of SEO as almost a product manager because we have to be like, what affects SEO? SEO is evolving so much, it's not as easy as just changing a piece of copy. It's no longer about what people, what you say about yourself. It's more about what other people say about you because Google understands all of that signal. So being almost like a brand advocate, stepping on product to be like, well, if we want to be number one, are we really number one? Is the product really servicing the customer because if customers are complaining? And then just being that kind of voice of the product and that's really challenging because other people are like well that's not SEO this is our bit this you go write some content <laughs> and it's really interesting really because this helpful content debate is something yeah. that I've been speaking about you know like yeah is this content really needed is this content really helpful not because everyone's targeting it we should be targeting it and th those are things that I have you know been really thinking about in, in my career over the last 12 months and then you know whilst I was on holiday Google released this helpful content yeah like, oh, <laughs> what a way to ruin your holiday <laughs> I was like yes yes yeah but I, I, I kind of think it's needed and mm. I mean we haven't seen massive effects of it but I, I just feel like I was saying to someone the other day, I was like, you know, SEO has ruined mm. kind of content online. Yeah. Like, it, it's just, it's it's really ruined. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to go into things that people do to make their content yeah. rank and make it seem more authoritative, but we, we've kind, we, we kind of need that stick to be like, can we all stop and think that this is not just this this is information especially in your money or your life sector this is information that people are consuming and making decisions on you know i've been to you know i've, I've looked at the SEP and tried to get to buy something and i've seen a website ranking p1 over the strength of the entire website but not particularly selling what i want to buy but just like oh if you need this these are five ways you can get that kind of and i'm just like I want to buy a product that you don't offer. Mm. You've just written about this keyword because it has a high search volume, not offering the product. This is very unhelpful. You yeah. know? So we, 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 kind, we all need to kind of sit back and be like, yeah, where is our responsibility in this? <laughs> you, how, how big do you think, it's really interesting you've touched on the helpful content update there. Cause how big do you think this could be? Because if you look at sort of Panda and Penguin and previous updates, they were sort of there to really clean up the internet, if you like, mm. do you think, because uh, I know that I've been looking at some websites now, I can think of a couple off the top of my head where you look at a product page and it's crammed with links and paragraphs for, purely for search engines. Mm. What impact do you think this is going to have for brands? I mean, because from what I understand, it's not just the page that's going to be penalised if there's, it's going to be the entire website. So are you seeing any impact currently in your current role with uh, the helpful content update? And do you expect a lot of brands to feel the pinch here with this um, new update from Google? I haven't really seen any any kind of significant impact you know i haven't seen any significant impact i haven't you know, spoken to anyone who's recorded that but it's kind of tricky isn't it because helpful content is very very subjective mm. but what i think is interesting and uh, i mean i can't, I can't uh, that's the, the detriment <laughs> of going in-house I, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't talk about anything yeah no of course of course i think on the spot there <laughs> i think what, what I think is really interesting is to, is to compare different sites and see that there are some sites that have 
loads and loads of content and mm. still struggle to rank. Yeah. And there's some sites that just be like, this is our product and this is our service and, and this is this is where what we do. And on the strength of that product, on the strength that everyone loves that product, everyone's using that product, everyone's raving about that product, it just ranks. Yeah. And then other people are doing all sorts of things to get content, but it, it just rags. And I, and I was really interested in, in, in doing a study. Unfortunately, I, I just didn't have the, the time because, you know, no longer agency. This is the luxury of, of that kind of research. But it's really interesting to, to see like the correlation between brand and product search mm. and generic rankings. Because it, it all ties back into if your product is good, if your product is good, and I mean, obviously, you need to market it for it to be seen somewhere. But I seem to see, you know, Google rewarding, especially in your money or life sector, small, small brands that have really good products and have less content <clears throat> over bigger mm. brands that have miles and miles of content and have grown from the strength of just their marketing and not the product being excellent. So it's it's really interesting. I, I, I just wonder how the algorithm, because again, with these things, it's so subjective, but Google can't go reviewing one after the other. So it'd be interesting to see what they plug into the algorithm. And when we start seeing you know, the effect of this, which, which brands are hit. From my mind, I can see it'd be easy to hit like affiliate sites, sites that are not, you know, actually, you know, offering the, offering the product that they're trying to market and all of those kind of things. But where big, you know, big credible brands are, are doing those kind of things, I, I struggle to see how Google will, will kind of be like, well, mm. this is not helpful. Yeah, very subjective. <laughs> so it'd be interesting to see what happens. I'm interested to see how it pans out. Really interested. Mm. Um, so coming back to yourself now, Miracle, I'm, I'm really interested, you know, you've got some great experience there, client, that's client side and in-house and with Money Supermarket and some great brands like John Lewis. What does a typical day look like for you as an SEO, you know, with, as an SEO lead? Because um, I can imagine there's, you are, you've got your head in data a lot of the time and, you know, there's so much change, particularly in the sort of search, search world. What does a typical day look like for you? I, I love data and oh, I miss, I, I sometimes miss large Excel spreadsheet and I have to stop myself. There's a, there's a book I, I, I'm reading now, which is like the first 90 days. And it says how you have to stop yourself from just going into the things you love. And mm. then you have to face the things that you need to do. You know, as a lead, I need to be more strategic and think about the overarching direction that we're going in. And so I have to stop myself from just being like, well, I can just do that. And then spending <laughs> days, you know, doing keyword research, you know, sadly, I love those things. But that that's, that's doesn't seem to be, that's not my day to day anymore. Sure. My day to day is mainly to say <clears throat> meetings and mm. stakeholder management and trying to say this is why we're doing this and kind of advocating for my department and kind of sure. leading people because this is what we need to do now and this is why we're doing it and and yeah I still do data analysis because I, I love to understand the data because if you don't understand why you're doing something you can't eff effectively advocate for it so most of my days is spent on more strategic thinking and leadership than, than for sure than day-to-day -day data <laughs> but I I do yesterday I spent some time you know doing like creating a template for something and I was just like oh, I could just start filling in the information it would be so <laughs> relaxing <laughs> I guess that's it isn't it because you're like I say it's all well and good 
you know, having a forecast and being ahead in the data, but then you have to come up with a strategy to actually deliver on that yeah. forecast. So yeah. is that something you're involved in as well, heavily in creating the strategy around how you're actually going to achieve those forecasts as yeah, well? That, that, that's my day-to-day, -day, creating the strategy and how we can achieve that forecast, reviewing, you know, what's possible within the department, you know, trying to explain to people within my team that, you know, the best case scenario might not always be the best case scenario for this company, and this is why. And then trying to get, you know, just trying to get buy-in, trying to influence people, trying to understand what we can how we can use our product in better commercial teams better you know we're just trying to yeah, piece all those things together so it's mainly creating leading the strategy implementation than than the day-to-day -day doing nowadays so. that's great that's great so it's been incredibly insightful talking to you Mirko. and we, what we, a new segment for the podcast is we've got like five quick fire questions here about personal performance for you so the first one is what is your favorite book and why <laughs> but you may have just answered that because you were just saying you're reading a new book. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I start reading loads of books and I pick them up. And I, I would say in the last 12 months, what's been, or, or in the last two years, what's been really helpful to me, especially when I start, when I became you know, a leader and thinking strategically, was a book called Give and Take. Okay. I never used to value my soft skills and that's why I always used to hide behind you know the technical things I could do because they made me feel smart and I just felt oh I'm not I'm not I'm always told I'm too nice as a leader I'm always <laughs> I never used to value my soft skills until I read give and take and how you know there's some people that like to give and to share and that's not a weakness that's a strength so I would say that's a book I give to everyone I mentorize I was like because yeah, I, I meet so many people who feel that they wouldn't make good leaders because they're not you know the typical like hard and fast and they're, they're yeah. people people and i'm like you need to read this book by adam grant i think that's really interesting isn't it because people i think often when you think of a stereotypical leader it's often this bold brash and it's actually you know not necessarily the way the most effective way for some people in terms of that, that style of management and leading people so that's really interesting um my next question for you is do you have a morning routine um in terms of how you prepare yourself for the day <laughs> No. <laughs> it's nice and simple. I, no. I, I, I snooze my alarm way too many times. I think, I, yeah, when I came back from, I'd recently been away on holiday, and when I came back, I was just you know I hate routines I mm. just like every day to be different which is why I like SEO that's great yeah. and then I was just like begging for a routine I was like I need something to jolt some structure. me to, to <laughs> some structure and I think my kids give me structure because I yeah. have to do we have to do the school run and we walk sure. them to school so that forces me to be like up and prepared and you know do doing something 100% 100% um next knowing what you know now what would be your one piece of advice to your 18 year old self you have everything you need to That's make great. to make it, and I, yeah, everything that you need, you have it. Every skill, everything, every, all of you, your like your personality, every part of it is useful. And that's something I didn't realise until very late. So that is well, the, well, not very late, but until later in life. <laughs> I think that's the best answer we've had so far. That's that's really good. Um, and then my next question to you is: If do you have one app on your phone that makes your life easier? Is there one app that really helps you get through, makes you more efficient? Is there anything that really helps you? Oh, unfortunately, I, I like to say that, but but no, I, I put <laughs> I have so many like I put things in my calendar, set reminders, and 
I just, I, I need a second. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need a PE or someone to help me organize my life. Just... <laughs> you know what we had, when our last guest actually said the same thing, like the, just simply the calendar on my phone yeah. is, is the most important app. Because I guess it's like with yourself, when you're leading a team, you must just have meetings and you're constantly busy. So having that level of organization, like a calendar is vital, I suppose. My last question to you, Miracle, is who or what inspires you? That's a very tricky question for me because I don't, I have so many inspirations. I know everyone's not perfect and yeah, I like to be inspired by, by people who are realistic to me mm. and so people who I think, oh, this, this person's life is, is attainable or to me. So different things about different people kind of inspire, inspire me. Like I've just finished a, a counselling course and I'm absolutely crazy about Esther Perel. I'm just Amazing. like in awe of her <laughs> and then as you can see from the books I've been mentioning Adam Grant is like my my what guru yeah, like different sure. things like in the SEO community I re I, I love a rage I have to I like in terms of confidence speaking Kirsty you know there's so many people I've met in works of like I recently met like Petra when I was speaking at MozCon no. and she was so so lovely and she was so full of energy and she was like right. we'll wake up we'll do this and this and, that. and she was just, she was so organized I was just like you're my spirit take me yeah. everywhere teach me your ways you know so in every walks of life no matter how small people I just pick up little things from people you know and we're talking about forecasting here Nicholas Scott taught me about all I know about forecasting you know wow. when I was at Erudite so just just different people in different works of life I pick so many things up and and they, you know, they, they, yeah. That's great. I mean, it's been so insightful. Thank you so much for your, for your time, Miracle. If people wanted to reach out to you or find you online, how can they, um, how can they reach out to you? Do you have a website or you're on LinkedIn? I have a website, ridic spelled ridiculously long. It's my entire name. It's, it's my name and I'm just like, it's my name. I'm going to do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So good luck. Yeah, good, good luck, luck finding, finding, that. <laughs> finding that. But I, I am on Twitter, Mira underscore Nam. I have to say, yeah, I'm not very good at, at, at posting, but I lurk a lot. So if, if you send me a DM that comes to my email, I will check it. I'm also on LinkedIn as well, my name. So yeah, you can find me in all those places. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, have a great weekend. Thanks, Miracle. Thanks for having me. Cheers.